Hey, good evening everyone. This is Hunter here from The Real Pineapple. So I want to go ahead and give, uh, provide a little context and give a little intro here. So I was lucky enough to get a screener for this documentary that came out this year or will come out on uh, PBS in a couple months. It's also playing in theaters now called Let the Little Light Shine. And it's uh, directed by Kevin Shaw and he has a Pretty amazing career so far. He worked on America to Me, The Street Stops Here, City So Real. He did work for ESPN for some of their 30 for 30 stuff. Guys, just incredible talent. And I was lucky enough to get to spend some time uh, to go and speak to him about his career, about this documentary, what it means to him. And I promise I was trying to keep him for only like 15 or 20 minutes, but before I knew it, it had gone ahead and just naturally evolved into a hour long conversation. And I was thinking about cutting it in two, but after listening to it back in full, I went, you know what, this is a very streamlined conversation and I hope that everyone will just appreciate it in full for what it is. So please check out uh, Kevin Shaw on uh, social media, check out Let the Little Light Shine. We talk about where you can find the socials in the interview. So please support this documentary. It's my favorite documentary of the year so far. I, I absolutely adore this documentary, but hope you get to, I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I enjoyed having it with Kevin. So sit back, relax, and let's check out our interview uh, with Kevin Shaw. Three, two, one. You ready? You're listening to the Real Pineapple Podcast Network. Good evening, ladies, gentlemen, days, and gays. This is The Real Pineapple. This is your humble host, Hunter, here. Hope you're all having a great night, weekend, day, whenever you're checking this out. Um, I've got an interview here for what is one of my favorite documentaries uh, of the year so far, and I'm so excited that he was able to make the time to uh, speak with me tonight. Uh, um, he's a producer, cinematographer, director. He is currently the director of the 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, Let the, Let the Little Light Shine. I've got uh, Kevin Shaw here. Kevin, how you doing tonight, sir? I'm great. Thanks, Hunter. Thanks for having me tonight. Seriously, man. Thank you so much for making the time. So um, I was going through your bio because I, I, I like to do a little bit of research, but I do like to keep these more free form and just kind of feel the vibe. So uh, first off, just tell me about you, man. Like, where are you? Uh, where are you from? Like, how did you get in the? How did you get in the film? Like, sure, sure. Uh, so I'm a Chicago native. I was born and raised on the South Side here in Chicago, and uh, basically kind of got into film uh, through my late father. My late father worked uh, at the local television station here in Chicago, WFLD. He was uh, an engineer there for over 40 years. And, um, you know, like any like any budding little son who wanted to be like their dad, you know, I wanted to get into TV as well. Uh, but he had always told me that if I wanted to do that, I want to get into a, 
I'm a big sports fan. And so one thing I wanted to do was had an interest in being a play-by-play sports broadcaster, that kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so he had told me that, Hey, if you want to do that kind of stuff, you should learn how to write. You really know how I need to know how to write and be able to tell a story. So I took that to heart and really pursued journalism. And one thing led to another uh, through school, went to Michigan state, graduated in a journalism degree. And my first job out of school was at ESPN. And so that's was okay. my real introduction into into television. And for me, obviously being a sports fan, like I mentioned, it was it was a dream job in a sense. You know, I was able to do uh, two of my loves, follow sports and then also, um, you know, uh, tell stories and learn how to tell stories. And uh, from that whole experience, I was really able to build my career from that experience at ESPN, from everything that I learned there to all the people that I met there. A lot of the people that I met at that uh, institution became folks that I could lean on as I began my freelance business, getting out into uh, doing freelance work as a, a director, as a cinematographer. A lot of the people that I came up with became executives at a number of big networks around the nation. And so they would hire me to do do jobs and stuff. So one thing led to another. I was able to do my first documentary, The Street Stops Here, based off of a connection from ESPN and old friend, Krista Sopinara, who was a, who ended up being a producer of that movie. And we had worked together at ESPN. And, you know, my third love would be movies, you know? And so now okay. I'm, I'm, I'm in that realm of not only doing uh, sports, but also doing movies and doing writing and, and telling stories and all that. And uh, obviously, probably Probably one of the, for me, and I think for a lot of people, one of the best documentaries and one that has inspired a lot of filmmakers over time has been Hoop Dreams. Absolutely. You know, Right. What a, what a marriage of, of sports, but certainly not really a sports story. Right. It's a, that does so much more in telling about just the life of those two men and Chicago and uh, and of America. And so that that melding there really got me intrigued and in, in trying to push that for myself. And could I be able to work on that kind of level? And when I moved back to uh, the Chicago area about, I don't know, a little more than 10 years ago, I cold called Steve James. I cold called cold. cold emailed him actually he was making uh the interrupters movie at that time okay and i asked him if i could work on that if he needed anybody to work on that film and at the time he was done filming but he kept me uh in his pocketbook i guess you know and i think we all have kind of heard that thing before right absolutely oh, yeah. like, well, like I'll, I'll, I'll get back to you yeah <laughs> i'll get back to you i got your resume on file you know yeah, so exactly. I was like, okay it was like that but wouldn't you know like probably three or four years later, you know, Steve reached out to me. I had made a movie called Goose uh, for ESPN, which was a film about Reese Goose Tatum, the first Harlem Globetrotter. And yeah, was, which I saw. And I, it's funny, I, I didn't see anything on that on your, uh, on, on, in my research, but I dug that. Oh, I appreciate that, man. Yeah, yeah. You know, it kind of got buried, man, because ESPN ended up playing it like on the same night as the Oscars, which kind of rubbed me like crazy. Like, <laughs> you know. So, 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 so real quick, it, how how frustrating are kind of the the the, the work the, not not the workarounds, but like the the behind the scenes stuff on like that? Because I know going to a documentary, you're not just making a documentary; you're putting all this research in, making sure that it's right and that you know no one can give you like a gotcha moment, like. Actually, it's this. So you're you're putting so much of your time into it. 
and then you get the whole well we're gonna show it but it's the same night as the oscars so are you just kind of like does that stuff like discourage you does it drive you like it doesn't discourage me it drives me more than anything you know i don't sit there and it's like i I have really taken to this adage of uh one door closes another one opens right that's has happened throughout my life it's been happening currently with our film and uh, with let the little light shine and everything one opportunity closes but then another one opens that you're not expecting and so yeah man you know i i had team with the same group that did the street stops here on, on goose and and we felt really good about that we had anthony mackie pre-captain america time right yeah Pre- yes, the falcon time as the uh, narrator for that film so that was like such a such a get and to be able to work with them for that time frame was awesome and, and we poured our heart and soul into a story that a lot of people don't know about when you look at metal lark lemon i mean metal lark lemon wouldn't be anything without reese goose tatum you know he's True. the guy that that started all that back in the 20s 30s and 40s so to not be able to share that with as wide an audience as, as you would have liked, yeah, it, w- it was disappointing. But I do know that the people that did share, that did watch it on that evening, because that was kind of the you know, social media was starting to become a big thing. You're able to follow trends and follow people. And we got a lot of great response on social media at that point. And then, hey, I hear about people like you that have actually seen the movie. So I'm like, I, okay, that's, I, that's, I, they give me some love there too. Yeah, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a big Metal Arc fan. So I was like, so I'm I remember seeing the Harlem Globetrotters when I was like 10. And so it was like one of those right. things that always, you know, that always right. stood out. So since you're from Chicago and you're a sports guy, I, that makes me incredibly happy because I can talk sports so I can talk Chicago with you a little bit. So sure. uh, get, get, getting to uh, getting to the documentary, actually, you know, before I get there, talk to me about Shaq and Dale a little bit because I did sure. a lot because I, I, I have not seen that one yet. But after just okay. doing a little reading up on it a little bit, I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna put this on the top of the list here so I can get watch that soon. But yeah, what what can you tell me about that though? Yes, yeah, so you can probably watch it on ESPN Plus if you have that. I'm sure it's in the I do. 30, yeah. yep in the thirty for thirty archive. So uh, I produced that movie uh, with with Hannah Storm, who was the director. Hannah Storm's a you know a, a reporter and a television anchor for ESPN now, but she's been in the business for many many decades. Well-respected reporter and, and journalist and filmmaker, and so we tag teamed on this project to tell the story of, of Sh- it's really like Shaq's origin story, you know, and this relationship and bond that he ended up building with who I would probably consider, and he would probably consider his second father, Dale Brown, who was the uh, former head coach over at LSU. And Dale Brown is a legendary figure there at that institution and in the state. And the relationship that he built with Shaq was really one of a kind. Uh, they really, really leaned on one another. And to be able to tell this story of a young Shaquille O'Neal who was still kind of figuring out his body, who was like, he was he was massively talented, but still trying to fit into those size 20 shoes and, <laughs> and leave an imprint on everybody uh, and needed the guidance of, of Dale Brown uh, to help him reach his potential and, and vice versa too. Like Shaq helped Dale become a better coach, a better human being. And both of those guys really, really got uh, a lot of great gratitude and experience from the from that relationship. So the movie um, really just pours into that. It's from both their point of views. They're the only two people who are interviewed in the film. So that was like something that we thought would be a unique uh, little trait to just have them to be the two 
main voices. And then one of the other through lines of that movie is that we went back to LSU with both of them and they kind of took us around a tour of some specific spots on campus, you know, that really meant a lot to both of them during that time. So I think it's a great film, great film for people who love Shaq, great little basketball movie as well. And just another great look at um, two individuals who you probably wouldn't think would have as strong uh, of a bond uh, that they do you know, and uh, to really recognize that and celebrate it. Okay, well, that's that's going on top of the list because I definitely have ESPN Plus and I've been slowly kind of working my way through the 30 for 30 films that I you cool. know, that I missed. So, all right, so let's let's get to the main event here. So uh, I actually watched this yesterday, uh, Let the Little Light Shine, and uh, full disclosure, this made me very angry at points. I, uh, <laughs> I, just, I, I was sitting there like, like, son of a, like, I was getting so mad at certain points of the film I guess the first question I have in regards to this is that you you have to be objective, like like as the as the director, you have to be able to show all sides, and I. Thought that one of the, tra- the 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 trappings that a lot of documentaries fall into is that it's all about how oh man look how the educational system is you know screwing over these people of color and yet what you do not only you do show that but at the same time you're showing that it's really not that they're screwing over just the people of color they're screwing over the community and you're really pushing the concept of community and what a school can mean as far as community and that's something I don't think we get enough of in general when kids sign up for school let alone in documentaries so i was incredibly impressed with the way you were able to 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 portray that in a film under 90 minutes uh, you cram a extreme amount of information into this and yet it's still easy to follow so i so just i I gotta give you a shout out on that just from from jump when you took this on obviously this is chicago school you're from chicago this is personal to you the how did your own education as far as you growing up, had that kind of factor into how you wanted to approach this film? Yeah, my education was totally different from what kids at NTA experienced. Like, I, I didn't go to public school. Like, my parents put me into private schools growing up in, in okay. Chicago. So I didn't have that experience, that public school experience to lean on. Uh, and that wasn't like a motivating factor for me as to why I really wanted to make the film. You know, I think that I had an opportunity, I guess, and I had, you know, I, I've had privileges, no no doubt, throughout my life. I had this opportunity to be a storyteller and a filmmaker who has had some experience and has some access to, I would say, some filmmaking capital, you know, and it had the ability to use that privilege now to tell this story that, you know, I felt was an injustice. Like I didn't understand why a high-performing elementary school that's majority all Black would be under target to be closed and transferred into this high school to benefit the neighborhood's uh, wealthier residents. I mean, I did understand, right? It was because the color of the, of the kid's skin. Exactly. Uh, you know what I mean? Um, I, I just wanted to dive in a little bit more to understand how do we get to this point, you know? And I think a lot of times when you look at the um, arguments from the other side, the folks that were in favor of the high school, some of them would try to present this as something that would benefit all of the community, right? But it's always black and brown folks that have to sacrifice 
sacrifice for that, right? We always are the ones yes, that have to preach. give up something. And I didn't feel like that was that was right. You know, that that was not right. So, but I wanted to give everybody a fair shake, try to listen to their point of view, because I do think that's important, man. You know, it's hard that we, I think we have forgotten how to put ourselves in other people's shoes, regardless of whether we agree or disagree with, with folks. So, you know, put, put yourself in their point of view, trying to understand where they're coming from and still disagree with what they are, with what they're saying. But at the end of the day, I was motivated by that story because I do believe, like you mentioned, that uh, school is more than just a place where you can be, you can learn, you know, your math and algebra and, and <laughs> civil rights icons and stuff like that. It's a community, man, you know, and that's yeah. what it was at NCA. Like this place became a community for those kids. And with it being under threat of being closed, they were going to lose that community. They were going to lose that goodwill. They were going to lose a family, basically. And I don't think people really look at school closings in that manner. The people who are having their school closed and are being being dealt with that impact and that trauma understand that. But the average everyday person who probably doesn't have to deal with it, they don't see that. And so we're hoping that this that's what the film will show for people. And they'll take another look at things when they hear about the next school that's closed and it might be near their neighborhood or in their city or what have you. They'll look at it differently and, and kind of really start to examine the who, what, when, why, and where. Yeah, I, I so that was something just, just in watching it, the, the community aspect shown through so, so brightly for me. So you said something interesting I just want to circle back to. You talking about, um, so I went, to, I, I went to public school and then went to college for a bit. You talked about how you grew up in uh, in private school. Like, were you doing that? Were you in private school, like, through uh, through elementary, through middle school? Like, I did, man. You know, my parents did not like, at the time, uh, Chicago public schools didn't have a great reputation. And this is back, you know, I'll date myself. That's okay. But, <laughs> you know, this is back in the 80s, you know, 80s and the 90s. My parents didn't like the school options that, that were presented for me in my, in my neighborhood at all. So they they put me in private school and I ended up staying there second grade through through high school, through 12. Wow. And I stayed at the same school. I almost left to go to a Catholic school in high school, but I, I decided to stay at, at this elementary, excuse me, at this institution, Morgan Park Academy in, in Chicago. And, you know, it's, uh, to me, I had a great time. It's a very small school. You know, again, like nothing like most people experience, right? Like yeah. there was probably 35 kids in my class, right? Through oh, the entire wow. time. Okay. Second grade through through 12th grade, right? So I know everybody in my class still, right? I could still look them out on Facebook. Uh, oh, that's geez. How I got okay. To, that, that's how I got to know Liz Greer. You know, that's how I reconnected with her, the main film participant in our in our movie. We can talk about that later. But yeah, yeah, very small, very small space, man, you know? And I just recognize the privilege of that and recognize that uh, not everybody has that, but um, what can I do with that opportunity and that privilege down the road to make things better possibly for, for other people, you know, other people that I care about? What can I do for my community? For me, it's like telling stories, right? That's what I'm going to be able to do. I feel like that's my gift. Everybody has a gift in this world. We just have to be, we just have to find out what it is. We have to have that be identified maybe sometimes for us or we find it on our own self, self-evaluation. But for me, it's storytelling. And so I wanted to use that gift for good. Yeah, and I and, th- and with this film, you're you're more than on your way with doing that. So I do want to. I'm happy you brought up Liz because I wanted to bring her up.
up because she is like the main, as you uh, as you point out, the main person you uh, you interview here. Again, I know you're from Chicago. I want to talk uh, the mayor uh, Emmanuel. I want to say yeah, Rob Rob Emmanuel. <laughs> yeah. So so I have been very blunt on my show about my about my politics. Um, I think people should be more angry about some of the insanity that's occurred recently. And I'll and I'll that's the nicest way I'll put it <laughs> for, for this <laughs> for this interview. What I will say is the whole education aspect as far as the fact that we're at a point where even saying saying the word slavery oh we don't need to call it we don't need to call it that or we don't need to be teaching you know in the private sector as far as you go in school i i'm really i'm so happy you brought you you went up to private school for this reason what were you learning as far as history were you learning like kind of what public school kids are learning were you learning malcolm martin and then actually forget that you're probably learning mlk jr and then stopping there like i doubt they're teaching malcolm oh okay this is they were yeah. doing, they're pulling that oh perfect good good to know yeah. there's no difference <laughs> no i taught i i learned malcolm probably senior year no actually maybe senior year into my my first year of college Good you know, Lord, that's, that's when i that's when i found him i found the autobiography of malcolm x Right. You know, dude, because yeah. I had been, you know, in South Side of Chicago, you drive by the temple all the time and you drive by guys that are there selling the final call newspaper, you know, the fruit of Islam and stuff like that. And so I had always seen it, always been around it, but probably didn't do any introspection and understand why are they there? What are they doing? What are they doing for the community and what have you? And so, yeah, it wasn't until college that I started to really dive into that and and really learn that on my own uh, that okay. was never Malcolm X was not taught in in my <laughs> private school. <laughs> okay, no sir. Because that was something like I had a, I didn't learn until Harlem about like Harlem Renaissance until I think my senior year of high school and and I and I found that in the library on accident. It's like oh this would have been you know good to you know good, good to know <laughs> you know yeah, maybe exactly but you know like at nta those kids are learning about that second third fourth grade you know they're learning yeah. about fred hampton they're learning about the 63 boycott in chicago where parents and students walked out of class throughout the city because to protest you know the substandard conditions of, of public education in chicago they're learning about that stuff at such an early age you know and that's beautiful man like they should know that stuff they should know that earlier you know, because that just yeah. helps build, you know, just helps build their whole knowledge base and their their view of the viewpoint of the world, which is so important, you know, so important. That was some of the things about the documentary that I found fascinating was the curriculum, like the, the bits that you did touch on on that. Because, yeah, they were learning about that stuff from so early on. And I, I was, to be honest, I was shocked, uh, like genuinely shocked to see, oh, wow, they're learning about Malcolm in third grade. Because, I mean, I think most people's preference or, or reference is probably watching you know the spike lee movie and then maybe sure. after that you know researching but but seeing these kids learn uh, uh the, one of the parts in the documentary that i just i paused and i immediately clapped for you was when i saw the uh, alice walker poster on the wall i was like oh okay i was like this school's actually doing it right like that's yeah. like that's amazing but to get back to um to, to liz green i 
I love that you focused on her in the way that you did. Um, I, I think you said that you that you knew her, uh, like that she, she went to school with you, right? Or yeah, so Liz and I we went to the same school, elementary school at Morgan Park Academy. That's she so left. Cool. Uh, she left in like eighth grade, I believe. She went on to a different high school, uh, but you know we had lost touch. But like I had mentioned earlier. Uh, we reconnected on Facebook, you know, so I guess it's one good thing that Facebook did. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it reconnects people. So it reconnected us. She was posting stories about NTA on her feed. And so that's where I first learned about the story, okay. you know, because she's fighting for her children and all that. And so Elizabeth, my memories of her as an elementary school kid, she was a lot like the student Ya in our movie. You know, she's very shy, very quiet introverted, kept to herself, but very intelligent too. And so this version that I saw of Liz now on, on uh, social media as she's fighting to save her school, like she had channeled her uh, inner Shirley Chisholm or something, you know, or, yeah. or Angela Davis. Like she had been a, she was a fire, she was a force. And she was speaking with such heart and soul that I was really transfixed on this whole idea of, of watching an average everyday citizen finding that call to action, you know, finding that little bit of activism in their heart and then following that journey, you know, and seeing where that would take. So there was like those two themes were the things that I really wanted to explore in the film. And that's why I reached out to her and asked her what was going on. And, and you know, do you think that we could do this? And long story short, she introduced me to the community, introduced me to uh, Isaac Castle as the principal. And, and when he said that he wanted to participate then you know i knew that we had uh, an opportunity to to follow the story so you so i'm so happy you brought him up because that was going to be my my next point here i found isaac's story really fascinating because you know chicago being a pr prominently you know you know mixed mixed races obviously but him being a white guy being the principal of this mostly black school as soon as I saw him, I was like, oh, that's a whole other set of, you know, obstacles, you know, and, and, I, and I think we can both speak to this. Being a person of color going through any education system, there is always kind of that hesitancy of like, okay, like I, I can, you know, where's my line? Can I actually be myself without there being some sort of like negative pushback? Because uh, th there's, a, there's a line that Liz dropped that I really appreciated where she talks about how she's okay being known as the angry black woman. And I'm really just kind of, just, just kind of pausing, shake my head because, you know, when a black woman or, you know, any person of color is passionate, they're seen as difficult, but, you know, a white person yeah. they can do that and they're passionate. I'm like, it's a, and it's a subtle difference, but I'm like, that perception, unfortunately, does matter. And so when she brought that up, I was so happy you allowed her. You definitely put that in there. And I was like, oh, he did that for a reason, because that's a very unfortunate thing that we see every day. As far as Isaac's story, he talks about how later on in the documentary, how the the, uh, the board knew he was talking to y'all that he'd be that he'd lose his job immediately. And that was something that I I really love that you put in there because it does hammer home the gravity of this situation in general. Speaking to him, as far as about his journey, I love the way you portrayed him. Was there anything that was left on the cutting room floor that you kind of went like, damn, I wish that we could have put that in? Or like, was there anything a little too hot that you went, oh, we need to like not put this in there? Like, how did you kind of make those decisions as far as like, kind of what makes it in, what doesn't. Well, you mentioned the whole idea of 
Isaac, with him being a white man and being a principal for a majority black and brown institution and doing well, immediately you can be targeted, not targeted, but you can be labeled as a white savior, right? And so I wanted to make sure that Isaac is the farthest thing from that, right? Yes. That is not that is not him. And you see that in the story, how that all in, unfolds. He knows that he's got still a lot of work to do when it comes to race relations. However, he's doing a lot better than some of his white peers, right? He, has, yeah. he does have a level of understanding that puts him above some some of his peers. He, 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 if some of them want to come on up and, and <laughs> join him, then we would probably be doing a better job with race in general in America, right? True. Um, as far as like stuff that was left on the floor, he really developed this strong relationship with Yah there. And you see a little yes. bit of that. Yes. We had some more scenes with those two that I, I would have loved to put in the film. The thing that I was, that I didn't have with Yah is that, you know, as you get to know her, you want to know more about her family. And uh, she comes from a very uh, private family. And so the parents just didn't want to be involved at all, right? They didn't want to mm -hmm. be in the film. They're like, you can have Yah. She can do, you know, uh, stuff in the school and all that, but we don't want to be involved. So I couldn't go to her home, which I thought would be something really important to kind of see that family home life and everything. And so yeah. when I knew that I couldn't do that, some of these scenes with her and Isaac just in the school felt a little limiting as as cool as they might have been in terms of building up their relationship. They just then opened up a door to, well, what's y'all like outside of this, you know, and, and what is her thing? away from school it has helped build her to what she is now and what are the things that her and Isaac are doing that are helping her grow and, and mature. And you see a little bit of that. And I think you're left at the end of the movie with, with a feeling of, well, I, won't ex I won't sit there and spoil it, but you're left a certain way with that relationship and, and feeling that Yah will go a certain way, I think. Instead of me trying to do that with 50 or 60 other kids, because that is what Isaac does. Like Isaac does, he does have great relationships with all the children in the school. He does have this thing called the, the Graphic Novel Club, which was an opportunity to invite kids, come in after school and talk about graphic novels, right? And they would talk about Black Panther and they would talk oh, about shoot, all these other superheroes. Cool. Okay. And he would... He, and he would tell lessons around, you know, some of the mythology and try to kind of pin it back to some life lessons for the kids. And these were kids like Yah who might have had issues or problems kind of connecting with their peers, you know, or feeling a little self-conscious or all that. But here in this space, because they all love graphic novels, this was an opportunity for them to, to like you said, be themselves, you know, without yeah. judgment. And, and just really live and stuff. And so we did film a lot in that graphic novel club too. And that would have been fun to look at and see as well. Because like with the education movies, I did not want this to be like, I wanted to be able to show that NTA was a special place beyond saying that, oh, everybody gets good grades or they have like this, yeah. this quote unquote GPA or, or, or whatever, you know, look at them going on to this way academically. Yes, they do that. But there are other ways that I wanted to explain and show how this place was a community, was a family, was leaving an imprint on its students, right? And so an opportunity like that, the Graphic Novel Club, it didn't necessarily make it into the movie. It was one of those last cuts. Some of the stuff with Yah was very important. You're just seeing that one-on-one -on -one relationship 
and hopefully in seeing that relationship that kind of translates into, you know, this is the type of educator Isaac Castle is, this is the type of education that he wants to, his staff to give to all the kids, which is about being in service to the students. You know, that's the main thing. We're in service to the students. What can we do for you? And some educators don't take that point of view, you know, At all. And, and that's that's the thing that I think makes made uh, NTA successful and unique. Yeah, like the the, the kids in particular, um, something that actually made me cry. I was watching a documentary. I had to I had to pause it was when those uh, uh, the kids were playing that song at the beginning of the uh, and Isaac yeah. comes out. And, you know, it because I, I, I think there is this. Because you've right. been there, right? You've been that oh, kid before. Absolutely. Because, I mean, you know, kids fall on their face sometimes because you're a kid and you're still learning. And the fact that Isaac, you know, took the brunt of that and went, you know, this is on me. I didn't give them that long to practice. But he still told everyone to clap for him and that they would come back and be, you know, better prepared the next time. It was something that I, to be honest, was not prepared for. And that's something that I, and I kept saying that, that, that was kind of the theme while I was watching the documentary and, it's one reason I love the film so much. And I've, I've been talking this up. Uh, I, I, I have my review already done. I'm real excited to, to post it. But it's one of these documentaries. One of the things I love so much about it is that every time I thought I kind of knew where it was going or how it was going to be framed, you would do something where I went, oh, well, damn. All right, that that's different. I wasn't expecting that. And and, and, <laughs> and, and I felt that constantly throughout the throughout the documentary. And I, and I love that. Love the documentary for that. <laughs> oh, what's his name? Uh, Earl uh, Earl Granberry. The uh, the, uh, uh, the the yeah. So I, I <laughs> this is a point where you got mad. <laughs> this is the point where I kind of went okay. Like this is so. I know we talked about staying, but you know, not being biased and showing all the sides. When you start getting to the parents talking about how. They wouldn't let their kids go to go to NTA like, oh, you're you're letting them associate with them. And that is a triggering word for me going to year 36 of my life where I hear them and I go, oh, OK, like that's like when I hear thug and I go, OK, I, I, I know what you mean. Like you're just you're not brave enough to actually say what you want to say. So you need to put this you know qualifier to go ahead and try to lessen the blow when you're interviewing these other people from a side that you're clearly like oh god i have to talk to you like how do you keep how do you keep that like not not having a slant like because that's got to be hard as a doctor you know as a director because you clearly know that these kids want their school to be better they've been in a place where the school was not in a good place and they've built it up through you know, as you said earlier, the community. So how do you kind of interview someone like an Earl Granberry and not have it go off the rails? Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I don't want a lawsuit for one, right? So you have to be <laughs> fair, fair enough. <laughs> you have to be fair to these folks, regardless where they sign a release, they can still sue you, you know. So I want to be fair to everybody. I have to be fair to that point to their point of view, even if I disagree with it. And sometimes the the sound and the interviews that they give, these folks kind of bury themselves with what they say. You yeah. know, they kind of they put it out there. And a lot of times maybe they don't realize how hurtful or damaging their point of view can be. And they just feel like, you know, this is X, Y, and Z and not understand the dog whistle that they've just put out into the world or things of that nature. So 
for me, if they end up watching the film and they see some of that, those reactions or listen to some of the reactions from people or have conversations in their neighborhood about it, maybe it'll be a little bit of holding the mirror up to themselves and there'll be a moment of uh, a little bit of self-reflection there and recognize, well, what what can I do better? What, what should I be doing better? How should I be looking at these situations? And it's not really these issues. It's really these relationships, right? Yeah. That's the, that's the way that's going to, if we're going to make any movements with race, it's about relationships. It's about recognizing that we all have biases and that we can't let those biases then uh, stop us from getting to one, getting to know one another based off of our characters, right? Not off of our color of our skin, what we're wearing today, how we're carrying ourselves, et cetera, et cetera. So I can hope that it will give them a moment of self-reflection. That's that's all I can hope for. That's fair, because I, yeah, wa- watching those bits, I was like, oh man, this is where, this is why I started doing, I started doing this. I was like, kind of like, <laughs> Like clawing up my mouth pad. I'm like, ah, all right. Like I knew this had we had to go here at some point. One thing that I that I will say, and, and I'm happy you use the term. You 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 do use the term, uh, or one of the uh, parents uses the term, a uh, dog whistle in here. And yeah. I can't like that's one of those terms I don't hear very often brought up. Like I'm like it's a term I'm, I'm aware exists, but I don't really hear people acknowledge the term. So you showing that uh showing that meeting where you know all the parents were like why like why are you upset and you, <laughs> and, you and you have her drop the dog whistle term i went okay this is like this is really kind of pushing the whole concept of you can still be and i i think it's the lawyer who's who said it and I, i'm blanking on his name um john jacoby yeah yeah i think yeah yeah, yeah where, where he goes you know did I don't think this is like, I don't like being called a racist. It's like, well, you know, like there, there's a reason why, <laughs> why you're being called that. But I love how people, uh, several people on the opposing side had the the gall to go, well, it's not racist, it's classist. Like they're, like they're not tied to, to, together yeah. in any way. <laughs> Like, yeah, like, yeah. like it, it, watching that back, because I mean, I'm sure you go back, you know, you you watch this one, it's all put together. But going back and watching those moments, do you, do you even as a director kind of go like, like, oh, damn, do those moments kind of shock you, even though you were like involved, so involved with this film or? Uh, do they shock me? Um, I think it's just unfortunate that they think that way still. That's what I would say. You know, because this is the reason why there's such discord in this community. There's why there's such discord in in America, period. You know, I think when we look at race and, and racism, it's very easy for us to wrap our heads around the concept when it's you know, when you're talking about white supremacy or you're talking about the KKK and white hoods and that kind of stuff. Like we can we can rack it, recognize that, say that's morally bad and all that, but. When we're talking about these subtle forms of racism, when we're looking at it from, you know, areas of communities that we think are going to be allies for us, people who will will tell you that they have voted for Obama and things of that nature. <laughs> yeah. But they'll then throw out some of those terms of like, well, you know, I don't want to have my kids go to this school that's gang infested. You know, that that that's a dog whistle, man. You know, yeah. uh, when and you mentioned it earlier, when um, and actually this is one of the parents, the white parents at, at NTA talk, talking about she's sending her kids to NTA 
PTA and her peers are asking her, you know, I don't, why are you sending your school or sending your kid to go to school with those kids? Mm-hmm. You know, yep. we all know what that means right there. You yep. know what I'm saying? I've had that happen in my own life where people are talking about certain schools and they kind of downgrade a school. And then you think about, well, what's the majority of the population there? Oh, it's black. So it's a bad school just because mm-hmm. all these black kids are going there. You know yep. what I mean? I mean, that's that is unfortunate. That is the whole crux of the thing that we're still fighting to this day. And so I don't know if it it doesn't surprise me per se. It just really disappoints me, you know, that you, the people that, again, you would hope to be allies still harbor some of those prejudices, but then don't even recognize it and, and feel like, you know, they become defensive. They become defensive and fragile. There's been books written about white fragility. And so I think you kind of see that in, in you know, in this, in this instance with uh, folks coming to the defense of their point of view immediately. I know it's not racist, you know, it's a classist thing. Yeah. I, they're, I, in, they're in it. They're intertwined, man. <laughs> they, they, they really are. And I, they're, I, I've they're actually, intertwined. I've actually been reading the new Jim Crow that's on my bookshelf mm. back there. Um, and that's been a, has been a hard read. <laughs> I'm it's sure. One, it's one of those books. I'm like, I get this and I'm happy to have more knowledge on it, but just, it's, it's hard. Hey, I, to, love, I, yeah. I, I, I love, I, I read the 1619 project. I love that book, man. Oh, it's I a haven't hard read that. Read. It's yeah, on my you list. Okay, okay read that after that... what you okay. might be overloaded with the Jim Crow after that one. You might need to take a break for a minute and then come to it. You know, okay. so, so fair <laughs> enough. I will, I, I will put that on the list though because I yeah. But, that... but you have to read it. It's a must read for sure. Okay, the sixteen nineteen project you said. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. I, I will. That. I will put that on the list. Um, couple read of it before I'm... they try to ban it in your uh, in your area. I... <laughs> okay, so you know, let me ask you about that. I mean, because I mean, you you know, you doing a uh, a documentary about you know education. Okay, so I feel like you should be able to research, use whatever discourse you feel is necessary in your learning. So I mean, while I may not agree, like so, okay, the. the I, I do this a lot, whatever. Um, I hate Gone the Wind. I think it's one of the shittiest books I've written. Like I remember when I read it, I was just like, this book sucks. I don't get why people like this. And I and I watched the and I watched the movie and I'm like, oh yeah, I still think this sucks. But then I can watch something like like Malcolm X or I am not your Negro and people are like right. or or even uh, the the new HBO Watchmen uh, that came out a few years oh, yeah. back. You Love know. It. And, yeah. and and I have people go like, oh, that's uncomfortable. And, and one thing I love about this documentary, to kind of bring it back, is you cannot fix a problem if you don't acknowledge there is one. And yes. and one of the things that NTA brings up constantly is that this is not a school that's testing low. Like these kids are, these kids are smart. They're bringing it in the classroom. And so then when the whole concept of turning it to a, a high school is brought up, I went, well, why fix something that's broken? Like when these kids are already, when these kids are thriving and I, and I, and I feel like education, unfortunately still is kind of in that, uh, it's still kind of behind the eight ball where, you know, um, I I love that you brought this up. You had Chance the Rapper on here, which I was, you know, you know, uh, from, from Chicago, of course, I, I was, I was pleasantly surprised to see him, but when he talks about how he was allowed to go to certain schools, but then to go to that school, he wasn't allowed. Basically was told like, don't you dare step on the premises. Like when you're directing, when you're seeing stuff like that, like is your are you just like, what the hell is happening? Like 
I thought that was just a poor decision by the district and one that, again, was not with, with, with merit. I think that they really, as explained in the film, they probably saw Chance supporting NTA more from a public persona and feeling like him being able to be out in front and putting a good front up for NTA would do damage to the proposal idea. Yeah. And so they wanted to and so they wanted to squash it, even though they claim from what Isaac said that he didn't follow the protocol to bring uh, a, a celebrity to the campus or what have you. But we all kind of knew that the consequences of him not being there, of Chance not being able to go to NTA uh, would be a plus for for the district and stuff. And so um, for me, that I, I learned a lot about the politics that happened, particularly in our city, but I know they happen in other cities with their school districts and what have you, where... You know, we mentioned it earlier. Isaac Isaac was under threat of, of of losing his job. Like if he had if he had let anybody know that he was participating in this film, he would have lost his job. And and who knows what have ha- what the, would have happened to the NTA at that point of view. So um, I'm just saddened by some of that stuff. <laughs> like, yeah. This should not be the thing that we're worrying about. Like when there's so many other issues in our city involving with education, like you're going to be worried about uh, an artist coming to a school for one day like that. You think that impact is going to be so great that it's going to cause a, a whirlwind uh, of news or what have you. Well, no one in the city even knew what was going on with NTA. Like, like they really didn't, you know, like there was one television story about it when it first broke, which is in the movie, you know, and then when the injunction was announced, there were some news articles. But within that two year span, no one knows, no one cares, no one's talking about it outside of the people in the South Loop. So that's the thing that just kind of boggles my mind. We do live in such a large city with a lot of stuff going on, but you know, people on the North side have no idea that NTA maybe even exists, you know? Okay. And, And so when you start thinking about that, how disconnected they can be, and it's not only just NTA, you know, when you had Laquan McDonald get murdered, there are people that didn't know about that, didn't know all the intricacies of that particular case so that kind of stuff has to change man like we are all affected by it by all of absolutely and not just because you know you don't live in this community or you don't come from that cultural background like you are affected by it uh and i think if we start to recognize that a little bit more again it's just like this greater understanding of what people are going through that I bit that ability to walk in someone's shoes to have that empathy for someone you know that's the way you start to try to make make some gains when, when we're talking about these uh, racial relationships and stuff. That's what I would like to see happen. And, you know, is, is it going to happen with our generation? Probably not. It's going to happen <laughs> with the generation behind, you know, uh, our, our kids? I don't know. You know, it might have to happen, happen, happen with the next generation, you know, that's not born yet. Uh, yeah. We'll, 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 we'll see. You know, we will see. But there's a lot that needs to be worked on for sure. So a couple other things that I wanted to bring up. Um, I am just, I am enjoying this conversation so much. So I want to talk about Candace Moore, who's the, uh, yeah. the, the, the MTA attorney. So yeah. first off, uh, a badass, like, like just, just 
oh my god she 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 was on it and i and i and i want to leave this as vague as possible for people who have, who obviously haven't seen it but um where the story ends up going with her i love the way you interviewed her i love the way that she was clearly composed but also pissed off <laughs> like 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 almost like to an eye-rolling stint like i can't believe this is even because there is that point i think in the documentary where you go okay nta has done so much good and you see you know the parents marching the streets and you, you know you see the like the assemblies you're putting together like the student council and all these things and you're like wow this feels like a genuine true community where these kids feel heard they feel love they feel inspired which at the end of the day if school's doing one of those three things like unfortunately that's seen as a win but the school is doing all of that and yet there's a threat of it being shut down and i and i and i don't have her name here but there's a point where they're marching in uh uh in city hall and there is this uh the this this lady who basically goes oh what was it i believe like an office like an officer had been been shot or something like that right. and, and and yeah it's like, like a press agent yeah yeah, and I'm not gonna lie. The way that was handled, I was like, like it's like scenes like that because obviously you want to show respect to what's occurring. Like, like how do you do that as a director? Because because that was something I was like, okay, if the film's gonna trip at any point in theory, it would be here. It doesn't, by the way. Um, but it was something where I went, oh man, this is a really sensitive spot that you're in so kind of talk to me about filming that and how you kind of where that kind of ended up i wanted to play it out how it played out you know that's how it played out like you know the the, the students go in to march uh impromptu into city hall they want to go see the mayor they want to you know let him know voice their opinion they're stopped the press agent comes up and tells the, the kids that uh, there is a press conference going on for a, a person who had just lost their life from a, uh, I think it was drunk driving accident, a police officer. And so they were asking for, can you please be quiet for a little bit, uh, for a couple minutes. The way that she delivers this information, I read it as very derogatory uh, yeah. as, you know, could you guys, you know, it's because the one thing that she says is that uh, we just need five minutes and then you guys can go back to doing what you want to do or something like that, and that yeah. you know? And so that, that, that really was like, okay, uh, <laughs> a, another little dog whistle, right? Like mm-hmm. go on and you guys do your, do your little thing. And then uh, you'll be, you'll be out of here anyway in a half hour. And, you know, the kids were like, no, we're going to stay here and we're going to be loud and we're going to, we want to talk to the mayor, you know? And so they went on and, and did their thing and she comes back down and tries to plead with them and they're like no it just doesn't happen and i'll tell you when i was editing this scene this was the scene that i got a lot of feedback from man where Not and, it, <laughs> and it did and and it broke down racially right like there were there were a lot of white peers who had watched the scene and were very concerned about it looking poorly on the NTA students, you know, for them to not give this family a moment of their time to their grieving and what have you and let them talk uh, and do their press conference. And then, you know, my, my black and brown peers caught on to the way that press agents spoke to yep. them. That's exactly what I caught when I was watching. <laughs> and felt that that wasn't right and felt like, you know, 
we're always being asked to take a minute back. You know, we're always being asked, hey, can you be quiet for a minute and then you can go do your thing? We're always being asked to sacrifice, always, yes. all the time. And so that was a moment where those kids, and rightfully so, were like, no, we're not going to. We're not going to be quiet here. Because they, in essence, could have gone upstairs and did their press conference and it would have been okay. And that's what they ended up doing, right? They ended yeah, up exactly. going up to, to another place in the finest spot that ended up being quiet and they were able to do their play, do their uh, presser. Um, so I knew that I had a kind of powder keg scene uh, when I was starting to get that feedback. And um, I wanted to make sure that I was authentic to what happened. And I feel, I, I can feel where people would say, oh, the, 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 the NTA protesters don't look good here. Maybe you should think about, you know, trimming back something or what have you. And I went against that. I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, if you feel like they look bad, okay, that's for you to say. That's your opinion. But there are other people that feel like they don't look bad here, you know, and they understand they didn't like the way that they were being talked to by 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 the press agent, which triggered them, triggered a microaggression, which then, you know, just yes. just brings in all the other stuff <laughs> that we're that we're talking about here. So they were in their right to kind of hold their ground there. Yeah. And so that that's that's what I ended up doing. I, I kept it as authentic as 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 it happened. And I knew that I had something, something interesting there that would that would spark some debate. And I was fine with people. You know, it, it's up for you anyway. Like I think any great movie should come down to, you know, you might not agree with everything that the protagonists do in certain scenes or what have you, but, you know, let, I'll, I'll let you decide what you think about it. I'm not going to manipulate the scene so that you definitely feel this way or that way. Okay. And that's something, so that actually piggybacks with, um, what's his name, uh, uh, Arnie Duncan, who I, who, who's a figure in the, in the documentary. And it was, it was this kind of this one, two punch where I was just like, oh, okay, I don't like, <laughs> like, damn it all. Because when I was reading, when your list, when you're having them list out kind of the requests that they're wanting for this merger, how they wanted a, you know, a separate main office, they wanted separate entry times. I'm sitting there watching going, okay, are you just going to say segregation? Like, are you just going to come out and say it instead of, you know, using the smoke screen to go, no, 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 like separate but equal, if you will. And I just, and I'm sitting there watching going, okay, this is driving me nuts. I can't imagine if I'm filming this and just rolling my eyes. As the, as the film goes on, something that I just found so incredibly interesting is that as you start to kind of interact with the kids more, um, you, you, I, I, if please correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you dedicated the film or the documentary to uh, Olivia, who was a Taylor's grandmother. And I really like Taylor's journey. I don't want to spoil it here, but she's a student who goes to, to NTA and her whole background, uh, talking about, you know, feeling like there, she's a puzzle and that there was a piece missing. And I'll, that's all I'll say. That was something I went, wow, I did not expect something that heavy from a student. One thing that I think that you do an incredible job of is showing that these kids are obviously kids, they're still growing up. I think they're way more aware than the, I'll call them opposition, because, you know, technically, I feel like they're way more aware than the opposition is actually aware of. Because yeah. there's that scene when they get thrown out of that uh, of that meeting, and I went, "Oh wow, you really just didn't want them to have a voice." So I really just want to ask you about Taylor because 
the bits we get with her, I think are some of the most powerful things in the whole documentary. And I just found myself really captivated by her and just the way that she clearly knew what she was talking about, but also understood the gravity of the situation that she was involved in. So can you kind of talk to me a little bit about her and kind of like her journey a little bit? Yeah, Taylor, she's in eighth grade. She won the eighth grade team there that uh, she was at all the protests. She was at all the meetings and she always spoke at these meetings and really had a clear voice and, and passion for saving NTA. You know, she had went there since I believe uh, second grade. So this was her school. This was more than a school for her. This was her family. This was her community that she had really grown up in. And Taylor easily as an eighth grader graduating could have fought the good fight a little bit and then went on and just thought about, okay, well, what high school am I, I going to go to now? And, yeah. and, you know, what college am I going to go to, et cetera, et cetera. But no, and, and she, she, she continued to fight because she knew that while whatever happened wouldn't necessarily affect her, it would affect the kids below her, you know, in seventh exactly. grade, sixth grade, fifth grade, et cetera. And she was fighting for them. And so uh, when you realize that that's what she's doing and she even says that, you you recognize that you are in awe of a special person there that kind of knows where they're going, you know, in life or kind of is figuring out their calling. And this is just one of the little stepping stones that's going to take her to her goal. You know, she is now in in college, actually. Uh, she's going to Georgia State. Oh, and good she for wants, her. And she wants to be a civil rights attorney, you know. Ah, oh, let's go. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So it's like this experience definitely helped plant that seed, you know. Yeah. Uh, and so that's that's just what's so amazing. And yeah, she had a great family. And obviously, um, yeah, we did dedicate I did dedicate the movie to to her grandmother, Olive, who who passed away during the during the pandemic, actually, like in oh, 2020. Man. Yeah. So that actually leads to my uh, my last couple questions here. So is there any plans to potentially follow up with the kids and doc documentary like down the line or uh i don't know i don't i i haven't made any of those kind of plans uh for them i, I tell you we could do another documentary about what's going on in the in the neighborhood because they're still fighting uh, really over this, uh, over this idea of the of the high school and there's now the proposal has now shifted to build the high school uh, on the land uh, formerly owned by the Icky Homes, which is in the movie, you yeah. know. And so uh, when the Icky Homes were demolished, uh, the city had promised the former residents that they would build some sort of mixed use housing for them so that if any of them did want to return, they could come back to the, the neighborhood and live in this new development. Well, there's this big argument over who owns the land now. Um, and uh, it's my understanding that the housing authority has either leased or sold the land to the school district or they want to so that then the school district can now build this $100 million uh, high school, which everybody is in opposition of because they're like, we don't need this high school in this area. If you would just fund the high schools that are in the neighborhood, yes, uh, then we would maybe alleviate this problem, you know? So that's the fight that's going on literally now. You know, so if we wanted to do any sort of sequel, it, it would be it would be that. <laughs> okay. 
So, okay, I've, I've got a few more questions that I promise I'll let you get out of here. Where the documentary ends up, and again, I, I don't want to spoil where it ends up. One of my favorite movies is uh, Mr. Holland's uh, Opus with uh, with Richard Dreyfus, and one of my favorite quotes from that film is uh, that teachers are the last great heroes of our culture. And I think you did an incredible job of highlighting the multitude of people who inhabit that school, keep it going, all that jazz. After people watch this documentary and they've had some time to digest it, because I, I will be the first to admit, I watched this to start my morning yesterday and I really kind of sat the movie for a couple hours and just kind of had to let it just again for for just over 80 minutes there's a ton of information there's a lot to break down what do you want people to take away like if there's one thing people need to take away from this documentary what do you want people to take away uh don't under don't underestimate our black and brown children that's probably the biggest thing you know there is as elizabeth says in the movie there's this underlying thought that an all black classroom can't be smart. And we know that that's incorrect. We know that we can be smart. We can be the best and the brightest of, of them all. When I think of that, when I when I think about even, even with my upbringing, not being in public schools, as we mentioned, but still being a, a, a young Black child in, in Chicago, uh, I, I'm sure that I had to fight those stereotypes, whether I knew it or not, you know, uh, of, of what would I be in this world. And when you look at those children from NTA and you ask yourself, well, how come some of those families from the South Loop won't send their kids to that school and their reasoning, they can make any other reason that they want to. But the main reason is that they're afraid. They're afraid of what uh, a connection might be yeah. with the current student population. I, I want people that I want this. I want to shatter those stereotypes. I want to shatter that. I want people to stop looking at the invisible shirt that we all wear of the stereotypes that say, oh, I'm black and because I wear this or I do that, that's who I am. And it's not, you know, it's not. So I, I want to shadow, shatter the stereotypes there and have people recognize that we're smart, we're intelligent. We want the same things that you want. We want to sit, the families want the same things that you want, a great education for our kids that will hopefully ensure a great future for them. We all want the same thing um, and we need to strive toward it. We need to strive to that equitable peace. How do we do that? Let's look at those biases that we have and start to realize that that's the thing, that's the crutch. We got to yeah. get rid of it. I, I could not agree more. And I, I think that is a perfect place to end this. Kevin Shaw, I cannot thank you nearly enough, sir, for taking the time. This was and I truly mean this, enjoyable from start to finish. Uh, I, I gave the documentary our highest rating, which is a, a fan F-fantastic. I, I think this documentary <laughs> is horribly important, especially with uh, where education is right now. And as we're, the, the conversation is going on on what to be taught and what to not be taught and, what, and what's omitted and all that jazz. Um, I'm so happy that this documentary is as timely as it is. And I can't wait for everyone to see it. Um, could you please tell people where they can see this, where they can kind of reach out to you, all that jazz? Yeah. First thing I would say is look up our website, lightshinefilm.com. You can see a screening near you. We're playing in a limited theatrical release right now of, of Chicago, New York, LA, coming to North Carolina, Detroit uh, later in the year and some other cities. So that will be updated as we go on. We'll be on national television December 12th 
on PBS, their award-winning series, POV. So December nice. 12th will be our national television debut. That's where probably the majority of our audience will get a chance to check out the film there. We'll be on the PBS video app for a month after that. That's free, you know, so you can check us out there. You can hit up our, our socials on Instagram, LightShineFilm, LightShineDoc on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, KevinShaw23. And uh, yeah, we really appreciate the support, Hunter. This has been a great conversation. Thank you very much for, for everything. And uh, I'm, glad, uh, I'm glad the film really resonated with you as i believe it resonates with a lot of people and will continue to yeah it, it really did and i and again i cannot thank you enough for um taking this leap and, and being and you know showing love to your city and being able to put something on my radar that i wasn't aware was even was even happening um so thank you so much uh to end on a Bit of a comedic note. I will ask you this since you're a sports fan. Best Chicago sports athlete is. Oh, I mean, come on, man. You know, number 23. I should have qualified that. If it's not. All right. If it's not Jordan, who is it? Ooh, OK. Yeah. So that's a better one. Ooh, yes. <laughs> uh, if it's not Jordan and I, I won't say basketball. OK, I'll say uh, uh, it's obviously Walter Payton. Walter okay. Payton after that. That's a great answer. You know, I'm going to throw out one. I'm going to throw out one more to you. Best Chicago rapper is. Chance. Is Chance okay? <laughs> <laughs> All right. I might be a little homer there, but yeah, I gotta say that. I, I think I think Lupe and Common are in the conversation, but but I, I love him. But, but Common's but, great too, man. Oh okay. yeah, I got yeah. He he's up there. I can do. I have to pick. I say one A, one B, right? Fair, Those fair enough. Right there. Chance and Common. There you go. There you go, uh, Kevin. Thank you so much for the time again, man. I appreciate it. Appreciate you, man. Thank you, Hunter. Take care. Okay. You as well, sir.